Welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. This is Greg Voison inviting you to listen to our latest podcast episode, number 978, with author Janine Thompson about her new book entitled 911 from the Soul. This podcast, number 978, is brought to you by John Overham, author of a new book entitled Exits and Answers Navigate Your Business Exit Like an Expert. If you're interested in knowing more about John Overham, his consultancy, and his book, please visit his website at www.exitconsultinggroup.com. That's www.exitconsultinggroup.com. And now for our featured podcast, please listen to my engaging interview with author Janine Thompson about her new book entitled 911 From Your Soul. Happy listening. Well, welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. This is Greg Boyce and the host of Inside Personal Growth. And joining me from Minnesota, no, I was going to say Minnesota, Minnesota <laughs> is Janine Thompson. And Janine has a new book all out. And I hope all of you can see this, but if you can't, it's 911 from the soul. And the foreword is by Marcy Shemoff. We were talking about her last time when we had a discussion, um, Janine and I, and uh, very much someone who's been on the show a couple of times and just a very old soul and very wise person. So great person to write your introduction. And now I know how she wrote your introduction. You guys all met in California together. So that was pretty cool. So how are you doing today? I am great. Thank you. We've got a very light, picturesque uh, snowfall today. So uh feels like we're settling into our new season and I'm excited. Well, it's good to be in your energy as always. And thank you. And I'm going to let the listeners know a little bit about you. Um, she's a former Fortune 50 HR executive um, with vast agility. Um, she basically worked in these companies, but during that time too, she had a master's in social work, a certified high-performance coast, a former psychotherapist and evidence-based CBT. Um, so highly successful executive. And she led diverse human resource teams across the globe, delivering keynotes to large audiences and helping navigate the way toward profitability while empowering personnel and personal growth. Um, she is a change agent, most definitely. Um, and she's a change agent with this book, I'm going to say, because this is um, something for people to wake up to. She also has a lot of what she refers to at her website as non-traditional credentials. And I think my audience ought to know about that. One is rapid transformational therapy practitioner. So it's hypnotherapy, NLP, and CBT. She's a Reiki master and former registered yoga instructor or RYT. Um, well, you've got a great background. Um, she's a giver. She's got a big heart, wonderful person. Go up to janinethompson.net, janinethompson.net, and we will actually put a link to that, Janine. And everybody will put a link to this book on Amazon. So go out and get a copy of this book as well. Um, I think for all of you, we, we just set our intentions before we started this podcast. And I think for all of my listeners who are very in tune, um, with the message that you have, 
will certainly be extremely receptive to what you have to say. So let's just kind of start this off. You know, um, as I said, Marsha Shemoff wrote in the foreword to your book that you, obviously you guys doing a workshop together, are soul-inspired, soul-directed, and also pragmatic and practical. And that comes from, you know, your work ethic and working inside these big companies. Um, this is where the rubber meets the road in terms of human consciousness, the space where infinite understanding meets action and spiritual principles meet success matrix. Can you tell the listeners a little about you, which I did, but also why you decided to write 911 from the soul? It's always a good place to start. It's like, okay, what makes an author want to actually author their book and what got them so engaged in doing it? Yeah. So thank you for that lovely introduction, Greg. It is just great to be with you and your listeners. Um, You know, a little bit about me, I would say that one of the things that I value most in life, I will start there, are my two children, Tanner and Taylor, my family, my friends, um, chosen family. Uh, I just treasure so very much in life. I love cooking. I love great wine. I love travel. So there's a lot that I love in life. And that's probably not a surprise given my eclectic background. You know, as you described, there's been kind of three big chunks from psychotherapy to Fortune 50 executive internationally to kind of the transformation and spirituality uh, space. Well, you're curious. You're, you're, you are curious. definite. I call you radically curious. Yeah, Most people I, I, like you are curious. You're always looking I, to know I, why. <laughs> I am. And that was part of when you asked, gosh, what, why did you decide to write this book in particular? You know, Greg, I was struck by how when we connect the dots in reverse, particularly through my 20s and 30s, I thought, you know, I was. in control of my life. I was, you know, well studied. I was thinking I was directing, influencing, going to control. If I just showed up in life, um, I really could manage and direct absolutely everything that happened in my life. And it became so clear to me, honestly, with age that there were synchronistic events in my life that I simply could not have orchestrated, that I couldn't have planned. My career coach in college, nobody sets up a career path like that. They they often ran what one would think antithetical to uh, one another. So it started me reflecting on the great mystery in life and what other forces were in play within myself within others and the world. And then the actual book itself was during a time in my life where the details looked great from the outside. I had a wonderful family, super close relationship with my kids and friends, uh, the big job, travel, all of the accoutrements of success, what we are taught success is and what we strive for. And despite all of that, I kept waking up in the middle of the night with these whispers that there was something more for me. And I thought, oh my gosh, 
for crying out loud. Just be grateful. Look at, look at your life. Be grateful. And I was grateful. I had a gratitude practice, but I couldn't gratitude the yearning away. And that yearning caused me to go on what I call the great search, which is what was that something missing? So when you're so radically curious, I have a question, you know, this word comes up to people that are extremely successful, have been, quote, successful like yourself. And it's the word contentment. And I always, you know, I've, I've interviewed so many people who've done so much. They've written books, they've traveled the world, they've, they've started up companies, they've done this, they've done that. And then if you ask them if they're content, they go, no. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, well, let's see. Maybe there's a different word for you. What is it that brings that soul and that peace and that vibration necessary to keep that contentment in your life? Hmm. Many things. One is being tuned in. So, and being aware of, Hmm. of my level of joy and flow and what I'm currently doing for each of the three big chunks of my career. As I was an evidence-based psychotherapist, I loved it for the vast majority of the time I was in that role. But then, you know, about nine years in, I was like, wow, there's got to be something more. And even then I was tuned into, okay, this served a purpose. I loved helping others co-create more um, mental health and well-being and, and transformation in their life through that facet. Same when I was a Fortune 50 exec. I loved it for the first nine plus years. And I started to get that whisper again, there's something more. Um, so when you asked me, I think part of it, and I, I think we'll talk about it more as we go on, is being dialed into what does that voice inside, what's it whispering? Do you wake up on fire? Like there came a time when that something missing when I was an executive, I wasn't waking up fully alive and on fire. I wasn't right. like, yay yeah. me, I cannot wait to get on a plane and travel another two to 300,000 miles a year, which is what I was doing. But in the mm-hmm. beginning, I loved every, I, I honestly, I just loved it so much. So when your soul is starting to say, the next evolution of your growth is beckoning, you will always, always be given signs, symptoms, signals in advance. Mm -hmm. You know, I read the whole part about you traveling and being in places like China and waking up and not remembering even where where you were, you know, and I think that's pretty symptomatic of people who've or traveling two, 300,000 miles a year. And you just mentioned that over the 20 years that you were a, a psychotherapist, that you lived in a world where everything was evidence-based. Mm-hmm. So this is a huge shift because, you know, we're hearing the voice. I know so many listeners are hearing the voice, but not responding. And my question is partially, why don't we respond? Why do we ignore And what happened to you to move you more toward this spiritual dimension and where you could discern 
the soul's calling because you know you you have responded right mm-hmm. and maybe response isn't the word but you know i know it's like okay well we want to brush it under the carpet we hear it and then it comes back up again and it comes back up again and comes back up again but because the western world and the outside world has us in all the trappings it's very difficult sometimes for people to say, well, that's what my soul wants me to do, but I don't know if I can afford to do it. And I don't know if I can do that. You know, and there's, so there's these, um, those echoing voices of doubt mm-hmm. that happen, right? If somebody's going to break free, you know, it isn't as many people as you think like you that actually break free from something like what you had. Um, I think if you ask many of them, they're still there. Right. Yes. Yeah. And they either they're hating it or they've just learned to live with it. Um, so two part question. It's like, yeah, you were on this evidence based path, but you had, you know, how did you wake up to this and then go, okay, I make better decisions. I'm going to like make a decision to move and two to actually hear the soul's calling. Yeah. Okay. So a couple of things. Um, you had also thrown another question in there I want to address first, which is why do we ignore it? And I think we ignore it for many reasons. I'll use myself for an example. When I heard in Mexico that I can no longer do this, I was talking with a girlfriend and we were having cocktails and I yeah. heard myself say out loud, I can't do this anymore. When the kids graduate, I've I'm going to do something else. And I damn near dropped my cocktail on the floor because it felt like something else was speaking through me. At that time, I still, I totally still loved my job. And so some of the reasons why we don't um, listen is it's not in line with our human plan. My human plan was to leave my Fortune 50 job in four years. And it was four years too early. It didn't meet my financial plans. It was going to upset the apple cart on my planning system. So a lot of times we ignore the whisper because it's going to cause a shift in our life that we don't feel ready for, Mm. you know? And so that was true for me. And then you ask, well, how did you... um, how did you go from evidence-based, you know, to the more spiritual um, awakening side of the equation? I started out as a kid, very intuitive. I had premonitions, significant premonitions that were realized. But as a kid, and particularly growing up in a religious family, I couldn't make sense of them. So I shut it down. And my aunt was a psychotherapist and I loved her dearly and I wanted to be like her. So I just decided in fifth grade, I was going to be a psychotherapist. And I think part of me chose the evidence path because I was fighting what I couldn't make sense of as a kid. I had shut that down and I did love science. And I love that we could say we had a 90% efficacy rate, effectiveness rate with OCD, panic disorder. Like I loved the treatment. But there came a time in my life where when I was on the great search, looking for what was missing, trying to figure out that persistent yearning, my familiar solutions, 
The science wasn't giving me the answers. The experts weren't giving me the answers. And ultimately, in that search, it led me to yoga, yoga and Reiki. And for the first time in my life, I had learned about mind, body, and spirit, and soul, and energy. I didn't know that as an evidence-based right. therapist, right? So all of a sudden, this whole world simultaneously was opening up within me and around me. And I started exploring sacred sites and sacred text and, oh my gosh, just the whole range, shamans, healers, like everything, because there was this magnetic pull that I simply could not resist to understand this inner genius inside of us that I have. Yeah, there's something always so much more. You said the human plan. Um, and And I like how you put that because we do have human plans that we get attached to, right? And I think in the, in Buddhism and many practices, it's like, it's that attachment to the outcome that really uh, can create lots of pain and suffering because we don't have the flexibility to move around it. My, my, my listeners, you know, can relate, but I was speaking with um, and you'll get this, uh, the Dr. Uh, Brian Allman and Dr. Freddie, who came up with those ACE studies at Kaiser. So when you take those ACE studies, it determines um, adverse childhood experiences and how those have dramatically affected you and, you know, did you gain weight or, you know, mm-hmm. are you going to live a little bit longer, a little bit less, whatever it is. It was interesting what he said was, you know, until the people have a spiritual experience, no matter how much we work with them, because it's really ultimately their path to spiritual, mm-hmm. many of them do not heal fully. Mm-hmm. And I And I thought that was pretty brave of somebody who's an MD and somebody who's doing all these things to say, Hey, look, you know, it's really about when these people awaken, really, that's, that's what it is. It's like, when you awaken, you can actually make a full transformation of yourself and heal PTSD and heal these childhood kind of traumas that you're running or anxiety attacks or all the other things that we label them, right? Mm -hmm because we need a label for them so the insurance companies can pay for the treatment, right? So, (laughs) but I thought it was really quite interesting. Do you have a comment on that? I do. Um, So I I think a couple of things. I think that every presentation, whether it is physical or psychological, all have a a spiritual underpinning. Mm -hmm. I think that our body truth always precedes our mind lies. And so, um, and if we unpack that a little bit, there's a lot of punch to that statement I just said, our body truth precedes our mind lies. When we have tight shoulders, when we have GI issues, like I did, significant GI issues. Me too. um, I used to have. Yeah, me too. I used to. They're gone now. But it definitely was a reflection of a time in my life where the dynamic exchange of give and take, of rest and play, of personal and professional were way out of whack. I wasn't digesting life. I was not. um, But why don't we give ourselves permission for that? You know, know, it's really an interesting dilemma and conundrum. 
You know, and I know you're going to answer a lot of my listeners' questions because the questions I'm asking you, while maybe not quite on this, is they're really important. Um, You know, it's like we're denying ourselves permission to be who we really would like to be because the voice inside is so strong that overrides the whole soul's calling to say, well, you've got to live up to your mom. You got to live up to your dad. You got to live up to your boss. You got to live up to your wife. You got to live up to somebody. You know, it's like we're always trying to be something for somebody else. Mm-hmm. So why don't we give ourselves permission, Ginny? <laughs> Yeah. So I think that they're, 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 I think it's nuanced, right? I think some people don't give themselves permission because if they're living largely from a, an earth view, from their conditioned view, their personality, the biases they've been taught, the messages they've been taught that they can only be so big in life before they're sure to fail, it's harder to give themselves permission. But I will also, so though we can work on it, if that is the presentation, we can learn how to um, become more permission-based. I've had great success um, helping clients with that. And I will also say this, there is an intelligence to divine timing that we don't choose. So I've often, also worked with people and certainly saw it in myself where it's like, damn it, now is my time. So I am going to push this through. I am going to do da 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 But actually, our body was telling us it was tight. It wasn't ready. Uh, the pathway to whatever we were going to do was hard. It was obstacle after obstacle after obstacle. And we didn't listen to the lack of resonance along the way. And we tried to push divine timing when it actually wasn't yet our time. So I think that there's this very artful balance to make sure that we're not stuck in a conditioned earth view in our 70,000 thoughts a day that says, you who don't get too big for your britches, you couldn't possibly do that. And really tuning in inward and say, show me the way, help me recognize the signs of time. I think that's the key, Janine, is that we don't ask for guidance enough. Yes. Because and, and- we feel we're weak if we do that. So we're many people are trying to do it. I'm going to come from a male perspective, right? Yes. Um, there's a number one, you'll find that maybe most males aren't as spiritual, but a lot are, but, and that's mm-hmm. a generalization. But on the other hand, it's like, whoa, I got to ask for help and for help from this amorphous inanimate thing yeah. that I don't know what it is, but I mm-hmm. know, I believe there's something there. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's, you know, you look at this strong belief. Is it a truth? Is it a truth for me? Um, and this, you know, obviously this is the age old question because um, I, I've said this on shows before religion has done more to divide people. Mm-hmm. than it has to actually bring people together. Spirituality, spirituality on their hand, has done more to bring people together 
than mm-hmm. to divide people. Now, I'm not down on religions, Judaism, Catholicism, whatever it is that you're practicing. What I'm saying is the dogma associated with the rules that you have to follow are the things that actually break people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? Would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. As yeah. somebody who came from a highly religious background, uh, and I have a great appreciation for aspects of many traditions. I love right. to study many, many traditions. However, for me, for example, really, I grew up thinking the power was out there, up in the sky, kind of all controlling, kind of punishing, you know, kind of disclusionary in who was in or out. A very different belief system than I hold today. I thought it was, I thought it was interesting, a comment, and then I'm going to move on to your soul, um, solution. Um, I happened to watch the crown and Philip was addressing the queen, his mother. And he, she said, you have to uphold the Christianity and the beliefs of the church and whatever. And he said, but mother, you're living in the past. I want to, um, recognize Jews and Muslims and every faith there is, and that's what's wrong with Britain, right? Mm-hmm. So he says it like right to her face, and obviously she was astounded by the answer he gave. But I, I think so importantly, as we've evolved, it's like we have to evolve because we're all one. And you state in the book, to be felt and experienced, and it centers around seven core principles. Mm-hmm. And you call these the soul solution. Can you speak about the seven core principles? Because we're talking about spirituality now and how they can be utilized in daily life. Yep. So that those words, I write very deliberately. And when I say I want you, this book is meant to be felt and experienced. Many people can breeze through a book and read it with their human eyes. And then it's like, oh, that was interesting or not, or whatever their perspective is done with the book. I actually want you to ideally read the words with your heart. And some of you are like, oh my God, what does that even mean? (laughs) For right now, just say, I'm going to read this with openness, with as much expansiveness as I can. And when you come to a practice, it asks you a question Mm -hmm. because in, in that moment, answer it. At the end of the chapter, get out your journal, get out your voice memo on your phone, answer the questions. You'll be astonished how they change throughout the book. We now know that reading alone is helpful, but when it's actually tested tested and tried and you're experiencing it, it's got more stickiness. And then you will truly know if it's resonant with you or not. Regarding the soul solution, these seven key spiritual principles, um, and just the big buckets for our listeners are yeah. mind, soul, body, heart, service, gratitude, and love. And there, uh, I'll give you an example of a principle. I direct my mind in service of my soul. So if we unpack that, in each of the chapters, I have an earth view, like the earth view of mind, our 70,000 thoughts a day come from our conditioned self. 
the experiences that shaped us growing up, limitations, biases, beliefs. And so usually in an earth view, we look for what could go wrong. We beat the crap out of ourselves. Our inner critic is on high alert saying, you should have done this. You could have done this. We only see what's humanly possible. In a soul view, it's an unlimited can- canvas. The what if is flipped. In an earth view, it's what, what could go, what if this goes wrong and it's disasters, creates ruin for me. In a soul view, the what if is, oh my gosh, like what, what is, what is beyond possible? What if I seen for other people? What if the best possible outcome happened that there was no chance of happening? What would that look like? The soul view mind says, you've got this. You've done so many hard things before. Look at what you've done. You have got this. So, um, and then there's living at the beauty of the end, which is while I'm traversing in a a wonder suit of a body, (laughs) a spiritual being having a human experience, Mm -hmm. how do I live from my soul view more often than my earth view? Mm -hmm. So in every chapter, there's kind of very practical, tangible kind of questions to help us shift out of the earth view we're steeped in that media reinforces every day. Like all around us is limitation. You are not enough. You don't eat the right things. You don't have the right bank account. You don't have the right house. You don't have the right car. You don't have the right education. You don't have the right physical body. It's all about you are not enough. But none of that is truth. And then when we step into this soul view, you don't even have to believe it. Just initially be willing to shift into some of the soul view perspectives and just see what happens. Have a willingness to test and try. And that's true. So it's so beautifully said. Um, What pops up for me as an add on to this is. It's like a a stripping away to be able, I'm going to use the term, almost become naked. It's like you're wearing this coat and you're clothed with all of these things from the outside until you can become naked. Now, I know because I've done so many interviews around people that are longing to have the experience but then it doesn't stick. They go, oh, well, you know, I'm going to take the psychosyllabin and uh, I'm going to, you know, go trip out a little bit and have this ex- big spiritual yeah. experience. Or I'm going to do the ayahuasca or I'm going to go like Michael Pollan's three-part Netflix series on, you know, the, this. You see what happens to people. They want it so bad, yet in the earthly world, without the aid of something else. So whether it's, you know, LSD or it's, uh, uh, or it's taking ayahuasca or it's doing one else, they don't seem to be able to get there. Um, many people, right. And there's, there's a lot of people like that. So question for you. I mean, I'm not asking you to advocate the use of any of these things, but how to the regular person out there listening right now, do they get to that stripped down version 
where they take the coat off and they just feel alive. Yeah. So listen, I honestly think that's what these seven core principles do. They really are a daily blueprint. You you talked about, you know, uh, some plant therapy experiences to yeah. get you there. What these seven principles are, I would love for your readers, print them out, put them in your bedroom closet, have a copy with a post-it note on your computer, because what they actually are, are a tangible blueprint that every single day, every decision, even every thought you become aware of, each of the principles are a facet of our human perspective and our spiritual perspective. And it will help you live the truth, the soul truth, the higher truth, and allow you, teach you to let it take command and the helm of your life. These are That's the key though. Let it take command. I mean, if I was going to underline anything, it would be Yes, you have to realize that that's more important than the coat and it needs, I'm using the coat as a metaphor, all of the outside world, the ego edging got out as ego, you know, has been dead to stand for, but that thing has to kind of be there. And, you know, um, one of the things you mentioned was about, you know, the tightening of the shoulders and your GI problem and all the stress you were having from your travel. And you lamented over the decision to take what you did when you were leaving your job. I'm kind of going backwards again now because we're pretty yeah. deep in the interview. But this is decisions that are people who are listening have to make. And I think they'll, they should hear from you how you really lamented over this as well. You were pretty attached to uh-huh. all this other stuff as well. And uh-huh. you, like you said, you're on that trip in Mexico and you suddenly heard the voice present within speaking to you. Like you said, you almost dropped your cocktail glass or maybe you did yes. drop your cocktail glass. <laughs> how the incident in your life and how would you advise the listeners to hear the call and guidance from the soul? And what are some of the signs that maybe you heard or that your clients hear, um, but sometimes ignore, meaning, hey, I got tight shoulders, I got GI problems, I've got whatever it might be because you were a Reiki master, you work with people on all kinds of body things. Um, Mm -hmm. Maybe it's not manifesting itself in the body. Maybe it's all mental. Mm -hmm. Um, Usually it does manifest someplace in the body, something happens. but I'd love to hear from you um, how people transform. Mm-hmm. So a couple of things. One, it is so clear to me now that soul and life are speaking to us every single day. When I heard that voice come through me in Mexico, I never mm-hmm. forgot it. Mm-hmm. Now, the truth was, I, I said before, I was scared. I wasn't ready to act on it because it was four years ahead of my human plan. But then that was okay. I got to honor my non-readiness because seven months later, I come home from the plane on China. And then there is, you know, get called into a CEO's office. And he's like, Janine, we came up with a brilliant plan to offer a generous buyout to all I remember reading this. Yes. <laughs> and I was like, so we can trust, by the way, folks, 
if you don't feel ready, um, life will either honor that for a while, like it did for me, um, and gives you another swing. <laughs> and you're still not going to go, oh, yeah, I'm ready, but maybe you're more willing. And I was willing at that time. Or it gets louder and something actually gets stripped away in our life. Something mm-hmm. gets t- tipped upside down. A job That's what I wanted to hear. Your help. I mean, yeah. sometimes we just flat ask, don't listen. And then life gets really loud. But life first, your soul and the energy of life around you speaks and gives you love notes every single day. So some of the ways you might hear that, you might hear it internally. I frequently woke up at 3.33 and heard, there's something more for you. And it was constant. And there were two messages in that numbers. Do you see repeating numbers? I see them all the time. So what does 1111 mean or 111? I've been, I've been dealing with 1111 and 111 for years now. And it's like, I pay attention. Let me tell you, because it's on on my clock. It's on my phone. Huh? Particularly is is a very powerful number sequence, but it is about pay attention to these moment, these words, these thoughts, this energy right now, because they're of a higher manifesting quality at one eleven, eleven eleven. So that is always a message about ten to the quality of your thoughts, because is what you're thinking speaking. Right now, actually, what you want to create, there's a there's a thinner portal, uh, uh, portal and veil at that time. So eleven eleven is super important. Three three three, the angels were guiding me, saying there's personal growth ahead, personal growth ahead, and I'm like, yeah, 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 but I'm not quite ready. Just hang yeah. tight. I'll let you know when I'm ready. Okay, so um, ready. yeah, so sometimes you're gonna hear whispers. Sometimes you'll know it when you squelch your voice and ends to fit in, to please someone else. Mm. You say something to be on point with their point of view. And inside, there's such a lack of resonance. Your belly tightens up. You you just know it wasn't your truth, even as you speak it. There is resonance. Sometimes somebody will say something and you get goosebumps. You get these, your hair standing up on your arms, or so you might get physical resonance. You might get a resonance of when you meet somebody. Like I felt deeply resonant with you when we clicked and our first comment, oh my God, yes. I just like felt it, right? You guys know that as listeners, you know, when you click with somebody and you know, their truth, even when they're not speaking it. Sometimes somebody says all the right words and they're standing in front of you and you go, something doesn't feel right here. Some See, our body truth precedes our mind lies. Our body's that barometer. I like that. I like that statement. I'd actually never heard that. Thank you. Our body Inside, truth ex- ex- precedes our mind lies. Yes. And it's so powerfully true. And by the way, for years, I would always listen to my earth view mind that said, yes, I know I'm having GI issues. Yes, I know I'm exhausted and, and almost falling asleep on my computer. And you know what, body, 
I'm going to rest after this next trip. Yeah. (laughs) For 10 years, that never happened. Right. So um, we have inspired creativity. Listeners, how many of you have had a shower moment where it's like, that's it. How many of you were um, your busy mind? You let it soften during a sunset and empty. And while you got lost in the sunset, while you got lost in the star or the waves of the ocean, or maybe the plants on your deck, if you live in a city, that all of a sudden you relaxed and you got an inspired idea, a creative download, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right? We, the voice of soul speaking to us all the time. Nature speaks to us every day. Nature has so many voices. It um, is always sending messages to you, right? One day I, uh, and there's pictures on my website (laughs) of nature pictures. I've got thousands of them because nature's always got a message. And I was preparing for an interaction I was complaining about and dreading. And I went out to my deck and I was watering my basil leaves and in my basil plant. And in one of the leaves was this perfectly heart-shaped cut hole just in one leaf. And I always, whenever I notice whatever I notice in nature, I just pause and say, what does, what does this mean for me? Mm-hmm. What would you like me to learn? I close my eyes. I listen. And I heard very clearly, you know how to find love in everything. Go find love. Be the love in this interaction. And sure enough, I went on the call and I changed my whole tone and, and tenor. And I showed up with more compassion. I showed up and let him know how much I had appreciated what he had been doing. I acted like love. I offered him love. That forever changed the whole course of the relationship, all because of a basal life in nature. You know, it does. It does work that way. And I it does work that way. Physical world. There are dreams. There are numbers. There are animals. If an animal crosses your path or is looking at you or playing around in your yard, look up the animal totem. There's a message for you. You see, life in this universe is actually for you. And we're so busy stuck in our 70,000 thoughts. We have missed the hundreds of messages of support every day. So true. Um, I did a interview way back when with a gentleman on signs and symbols. And I so believe that, you know, it, if you wake up to the hawk at the top of the tree or um, the eagle that you see flying across the sky or the bird and you, ponder the significance of that in your life or the beautiful sunset or whatever it might be. Like you said, the heart carved in the leaf. Um, it, it truly does make a difference and it is something that you can draw significance from, right? Significance, like an action place you can go and do. Yeah. And you speak about the art of pause. Uh-huh. So you had to pause to see the leaf. Um, as you put it in the space between where you are now and where you'll be next, right? It's like, okay, I got the leaf now. What's next kind of thing. Yeah. And I think 
the art and the essence is staying with it. You know, I, I just did an interview that brought up staying in spots when you're making better decisions. Uh-huh. Actually stay in the problem longer. Mm-hmm. Stay with it and resonate inside of it. You state that it will make us squirm and that we'll be <laughs> uncomfortable. Right? Yes. How would you advise becoming comfortable with the uncomfortable? Because I think for a lot of people, whether it's whatever they see, whatever it is that comes in front of their desk, it they can't stay with the uncomfortable. It's yeah. like they've got to fix it. Mm-hmm. What I'm saying is sometimes staying with the uncomfortable in the state, you come up with a better solution. Mm-hmm. So I think a couple of things. One, it makes sense because we are a... a a pain avoidant pleasure seeking society. We are taught to fix it, rush to the solve, make it go away as soon as possible. And the real art is in being with it. We need to dispel the myth that you need to fix it. I literally want your listeners to say to themselves, I am not this discomfort. I am the awareness aware of the discomfort. I can notice it. I can feel it. It can be sad, uncomfortable, overwhelming. And as awareness, this pain is not me. See, sometimes, and I've worked in a hospital for 10 years, people got so steeped in their pain stories, they thought they were the pain. And when we can learn that we can be aware of the pain, and we actually can go in and ask it questions. It, it's amazing what you will hear from Agreed. these segments in your body. But I do think some of this, there is some cognitive strategies. I am not this discomfort. I, I can, I am okay with discomfort. I'm going to be okay. Um, I think. Tactically, also somatic exercises that signal safety to the body are really um, highly beneficial. We got to get back into our body. So if your listeners look at the palm of their hand from a practical exercise, you'll notice in your four fingers, they're each divided into three segments. And literally in each segment, like the first segment I want you to close your eyes and inhale. The second segment, exhale. The third segment on your pinky, inhale. Go to the bottom segment of your ring finger, exhale. Inhale. Exhale. And so forth. Do 24 rounds of inhale and exhale. We help harmonize our parasympathetic and sympathetic response. So I do believe one of the ways of getting comfortable of dealing with discomfort is doing some somatic um, yep, uh, breathing techniques. But But there's something significant about this one because you'll notice it directs the energy from your mind as you're moving from each segment, the inhale, the exhale, get you some balance there. So that's important. 
I also think you want to give discomfort space. If you're feeling really uncomfortable, really antsy, really scared, even go sit outside on yourself. Give the discomfort the space of nature. It's pretty remarkable when we take our discomfort outside, what happens. It starts to feel a little smaller. You can connect with the sun and allow the rays light up your your cellular structure inside. You can feel the wind and ask it to soften and lighten it. But so much of discomfort, again, is a myth that we, we don't like it, so make it go away instead of, hello, messenger, what do you got today? Bring it on. I know I'm not you. So if you have a little more strength and intensity, what do you have to say? What do you need from me right now? What's one tiny little thing you'd like right now? And when we befriend discomfort, it too has a voice of intelligence and it'll move through more quickly. Great advice, especially the part about uh, the somatic breathing. I'm going to call it somatic breathing because yeah, that's what I would say. And, you know, um, your understanding of the soul, and you state this in the book, is that it's the external essence. It's a subtle energy frequency, which is connected to an invisible grid of the, un- of the universe intelligence. Uh, it is simultaneously your life and the life of the universe. And I think this is an important element associated with the definition here um, because the listeners, hey, if you look at this, the word soul up in the dictionary, it's going to say one thing. If you're going to look it up all over, it's going to say something else. Speak with our listeners about this energy and that when we are in touch with it, how we transform as human beings, because this is the matrix we're talking about, right? It's yes. like this universal yeah. matrix of energy. Yeah. Um, and you've been speaking about how we're going to transform by being in touch with that vibrational pull, right? Yeah. And many of my listeners know, you know, the crown chakra all the way down the chakras. Yeah. We're familiar with that and the breathing techniques and the meditation. But you're actually speaking about something which is, I'm going to say even larger than that, you yeah. know, and that has its own definition, right? Meaning, hey, I can define, I can look at the crown chakra and all the way down, make sure my chakras are aligned and all that. But what you're talking about is this universal matrix, this yeah. connectivity to the one, to everything. Yes. Mm-hmm. When people say, oh, I've had this experience, Janine, I'm one with all. Yeah. And right and and some people never have it in their life and then other people have it and they go man it was the most awesome experience i had or the people that go do ayahuasca and they say i was one with all right um speak with us about that because this is an important element as far as i'm concerned yeah so a couple of things thank you for reading how i would describe soul and this is what i would say to the listeners if soul isn't a word that works for you Try on IntelliKey. IntelliKey is a Greek um, principle that says the seed of potential and realization. It is the IntelliKey of 
of an acorn seed to become an oak tree, the entelechy of a caterpillar to become a butterfly. So first, let's not get caught up on the label because sometimes we'll get caught up on the label and they dismiss it. But whether you call it entelechy or whether you call it soul, there is an energy that I believe is who we are. It's within us, it's around us, and it is beyond us. You heard me say in the beginning, all of a sudden I connected the dots reverse. I thought I was cracking this code of life on my own when I was 20 and 30, you know, doing this gig by myself. Oh my goodness, there's just no way. And thank goodness, every day for every listener out there, I know a door has been open through another human being, through another earth traveler. I know that there were maybe accidents you could have been in in your car. And you go, thank God. That was, you know, one I didn't um, encounter. We'd never, ever travel a- alone. And so it once you have that understanding, once you understand your thoughts, as Dr. Joe would say, are electrical. Your feelings are magnetic. And as they interact with the quantum, you bring those very same experiences back into your body. Felt experience always trumps. It changes everything. When we know that all that is, that love is truly working for us within around us every day, if we stop to pause, to tune in, and whatever you call that great mystery of life, that field, that matrix, God, the universe, warriors, you have no no idea what you call it. It can remain nameless. In fact, nobody knows is the honest truth. But if you're willing to align with three levels of connectivity, what, who you know yourself to be, It changed who I knew myself to be. I always thought I was a human being before. And holy crap, that changes the name of the game if you see yourself as only human. But if you see yourself as infinite and unlimitless, and even if that feels crazy big, and I'm not sure I can make that happen, what if you made 10% of your unlimited nature come in in, um, from energy into matter? Wow. It changes what you see in the world. Literally what you see in the world will change through the eyes of the soul and the heart versus the eyes of the 70,000 thoughts. It changes what you know can be possible. And this book is going to help them get there. Most definitely. So I'm going to hold this up again. 911 from your soul, definitely. And Janine, as a, uh, I want to call it final question to kind of wrap everything up here for our interview. It's been an honor and a pleasure, the energies which you emit and the way in which you articulate this to the listeners. I think they truly will resonate with this. But the book is filled with stories, um, thoughts to ponder and practices to integrate in our lives. What actionable practices can the listeners take away from our podcast today that will transform their lives if they were to use them and practice them regularly? Now, I noticed, you know, we talked about the principles, 
And you yep. said, hang it in the closet. I remember that. Or put it wherever, write it somewhere and stick it someplace. Everywhere and say, yeah. is this guiding my my action right now? You know, but listen. So repeat them again, because you have love, you have gratitude. I, love, service, gratitude, body, heart, mind, and soul. Yeah. So there's nothing in this that doesn't touch all the layers of our body, the connectivity and the energetic matrix field grid, whatever you want to call it. Okay. But a couple of things that um, I want to invite your listeners to one, either begin or amp up stillness. And I will tell you, if you say, if you sound like I used to, you say, I can't. Oh my God, I'm in a plane up to 300,000 miles an hour. I'm go, 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 go. I simply can't sit still. That is not true. See, so much of our stories, we've just come to believe and then we therefore have made them true. Everyone can create stillness. And I invite you to begin for 30 seconds a day. And if 30 seconds to two minutes, one hand on heart center, one on belly and close your eyes and breathe. And as you breathe in, feel that belly expand and feel it contract. Set your alarm clock 30 seconds. You can do this and you must stop the story. I can't do it. That's number one. Um, number two, honor yourself. I'm a beauty of the and girl. So I want everybody to practice stillness because we need to increase stillness in our life. But we also can get still through an active run, through a shower, through um, painting, singing, dancing, movement. You know, the, the, all of them help us soften the busy mind, nature. I want you to ask yourself today. When you get off this podcast, do yourself a favor. Just close your eyes and ask yourself, 10 years from now, the highest, wisest, wisest version of me somehow managed to create a life that I never even could have conceived to be possible. What am I living? What am I experiencing? What am I doing? What am I saying? What am I feeling? Let's start to dream again. So many people have turned, really turned down the dream faucet with all of this negativity and density in the world. Mm-hmm. Turn that dream faucet back on and, and let's start playing in there. Vibration. Do a simple scan right now. As you take a look around whatever environment you're in. How does it feel? What we ingest, whatever food it is, whatever we speak, whatever we got around us, it all has vibration. The humans you hang out with. Do you leave smiling going, oh my God, that was so good. Got to have more of this. Or is like, oh man, exhausting. (laughs) These are basic things. The psychic vampires. Yeah. Make joy dates. You see, when we choose joy, like actively choose joy, it doesn't require money. Something that maybe makes you giggle. Something that for me, it's sunsets. I live on a lake or anything. Today, it's snowing. I'm happy with that with rain. But literally 
I'm going to joy date on the calendar. And each day, look for a way to fall in love with life. Turn off that news. What's one way I could fall in love with life today? Well, they can fall in life by listening to their soul's calling. You know? Yes. And I think if they would, if there was one thing that I would say could be a takeaway, and I'll add to your three, would be, listen, be discerning. Listen to the voice. Um, really take some time. You said be in silence. Usually you can hear that voice the more silence you're in, right? And And then you can take action on that. Take some steps. Do some things. Just like you did. You almost dropped your cocktail glass in Mexico. So... Yeah. It's been a pleasure having you on Inside Personal Growth. Uh, namaste to you. And, to you. and thank you for your just your great energy, your vibration, this great book. Now, for all of my listeners, you're going to go to janinethompson.net to learn more about her. There you're going to see information about her book, her work, how you can work with her, resources um, on, on making a connection with her. You connect, can connect with her, hear what her clients have to say. Uh, truly, Janine, you are a light, you are a love, uh, and you're blessing all of my listeners with your message, 911 from the soul. Thanks so much. Oh, thank you. It's been a great honor. And thank you for choosing to walk in the world and be the lighthouse that you are. Like you exude love. Talk about a joy day when people spend time with you. So thank you for choosing to, to show up and shine. Just thank you. Thank you so much. Blessings to you. Yeah. Likewise. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this podcast on inside personal growth. We appreciate your support. And for more information about new podcasts, please go to InsidePersonalGrowth.com or any of your favorite channels to listen to our podcast. Thanks again and have a wonderful day.